The Great Commission, you know it, says to go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus said, go ye into all the world. You know, you think about, okay, what Jesus is talking to his church, his called out one, his ecclesia, and sometimes it's, it's people get hung up on, you know, church buildings, I think, you know. But it's not the church building that's important. It's the people in the church. And the people in the church have a mission, and the mission is, go ye therefore into all the world. Jesus did not say, spend $10 million to build a family life center with ping pong tables, bowling alleys, and gymnasium and of course rent the gymnasium out on the weekend to your community to fly model airplanes and to play basketball tournaments and and uh, entertain themselves he, he didn't say that he didn't say that um, do you realize at least I think the condemnation Jesus is going to give to those who blew all of their tithe money on fancy buildings I think there's going to be a lot of condemnation for that one because it's dodging, in many cases, it's dodging the Great Commission. You know, serving your community is great, but that's not the Great Commission. Never has been the Great Commission. Go ye, therefore, into all the world, make disciples, teaching them. That's a critical point. Teaching them all things I have commanded you. <clears throat> and to negate the Great Commission you know, I sometimes think churches, it's sort of like it's an ego trip, big buildings. It's like my church is bigger than yours. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like my dog is bigger than yours. You know, I sometimes talk to people and they say, I go to that big church, that big whatever it may be, and, and it's the biggest one, the biggest one out there. That's the one I go to. Now, to dodge the Great Commission, now I'm, I'm sort of picking on maybe mainstream here, but thinking about what they believe, most people, or at least a lot of religious people, believe that you're either saved or lost. And if you're lost, you're going to spend all eternity in a place called hell and burn for all eternity. Now, if that is your conviction, if that was your conviction, I mean, why are you living in an air-conditioned home? Why are you living in this big $10 million, you know, why are you busy? spending $10 million on this huge church if that's your conviction that all those lost people out there are going to burn for all eternity. It looks like you would be out there fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, I know better. I know God's not calling everybody right now. But, you know, I still, knowing that, I still do a lot of evangelistic work because I know there are some that God is calling now and I want to get their attention. He is calling a first fruit right now. <clears throat> and those people, when they hear the truth, will respond. Now, I mentioned, you know, at the first service on the first day of Unleavened Bread that the Jews failed to share the gospel. They sort of, exclusivism, you know, the God, it was their God, and they never really got around to evangelizing anybody. Whereas Christians have shared the gospel, they have been busy out there sharing the gospel, but the message that they are sharing has failed to change the hearts of men. Well, why is that? Well, just listen to the message. It's like, well, just believe, just, I invite Jesus into my heart, that's it. 
just believe, just accept. Nothing you must do. The law has been abolished, been nailed to the cross, been fulfilled, whatever. But listen, if you want to know why hearts are not changed, just listen closely to what you're hearing sometimes in the message. 450,000 churches in America, 650,000 preachers, way too many. Uh, and, and think about the condition of our nation. We nearly sold America, the birthright nation, built upon freedom. We nearly, in this past election, we nearly gave up our freedom for socialism. How does a nation come to that? that has its religion, which is supposed to be based on freedom, man's freedom. America, land of the free, and yet we nearly sold that birthright nation for socialism. Had Bernie, had Hillary gotten in. I, I thought it was going to happen. I, that, that I actually believed that, it was going, that we had already gone beyond the tipping point. Now, I'm glad it didn't turn out like that, believe me. Why, and I want to deal with this personal now, this, this you in the church of God. Why have we failed to be a witness? Now, now again, I'm, I'm, I'm hard on myself, so don't take these words too hard yourself. But if I'm hard on myself, I'm going to be hard on you. Get used to it. <laughs> Why have we failed to be a witness to the truth? Personally, in a personal area. Because we have opportunity to be a witness to the truth every single day. There are bukus of opportunities. You know, Acts 5.32, don't, you don't have to turn there. It says, and we are his witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to them that obey him. Because you are willing to obey God, you have an opportunity to witness every single day of your life. Not everybody can say that. People that don't believe in obedience to God have nothing to offer the world other than just believe, just accept, just invite Jesus into your heart. But, but that's, there's only so much witnessing you can do in that area. But because you believe that God has a certain standard of morality called the Ten Commandments and you believe in obeying those Ten Commandments, you have a lot to witness to on a daily basis. You can be a witness on a daily basis. And of course, you know, people that, like I said, that don't believe in obedience, might, that might explain why today's gospel has failed to change the heart of man. Now, if I give you an example, I'll take my wife here, and for example, here. I sometimes get a kick out of some of the things that she does, but like if we're eating at our family members, she will say, does this, this, do these beans have pork in them? And I know it, it I can tell it sort of irks my father-in-law. Yeah, I know it does. And she's always asking, is this, is this cooked with pork or not? And she don't ever get tired of asking either. <laughs> but the point is, from her perspective, it's wrong to eat it. I don't eat it. Whether you like it or not, I'm not eating this. This is an issue of my obedience, and obviously you're not, you know, you're not in that area. And I need to know, does it have it or not? Because I'm not eating that stuff. And that's a powerful witness. Don't ever overlook those little things, you know. It's a powerful witness that deals with an issue of whether you obey God or not. Proverbs 28 and verse 1 says this. Now, this is something I think we need to pray for as a church. This church needs to pray for this. 
It says, The wicked flees when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. We need to pray for boldness in the church of God, for each other, that God will make us bold. You know, I don't know where it's to come out of the closet. You know, it's not like a gay community, they're talking about coming out of the closet. Well, in a church, we need to come out of the closet with boldness. You know, if it means in your face, boldness. You know, you tell people, look, I'm, you know, I'm keeping the days of unleavened bread. And this look comes over their face like, what? Unleavened bread? You know, it's like, have you heard of Christmas, Santa Claus, and deers that can fly? Yes, I've heard of that. Have you heard of Easter and bunnies that lay eggs? Yes, I've heard of that. But you've never heard of the days of unleavened bread in your Bible. No, never heard of that. Never heard of that. You've been in church 40 years, you've never heard of that. No. Look at Acts 20 and verse 6. Acts 20 and verse 6. <clears throat> Acts 20 and verse 6. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of Easter, and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days with our Easter baskets hiding eggs. Let's just say that, does it? Let's read it like it says. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. What's it, you know? So, so you've been in church. 40 years, you think this stuff is crazy when I mention I'm keeping the days of unleavened bread. You've heard all this other stuff, you know, Santa Claus and Easter bunnies and rabbits and all that, but you've never heard of this. You've never heard it. <clears throat> we need boldness, boldness to address these issues. You know, and, and here's the thing. The feast days are all about, first of all, these are the feast of the Lord, the feast of Jehovah. Whose feast are they? You know, you hear, oh, the Jews, Israel. No, these are the feast of the Lord's. And they're all about Jesus Christ. And you think, okay, Holy Day is all about Jesus Christ. Somebody ought to be, in you would think churches ought to be interested in this. But they're not. They're not. They'll dismiss that as Jewish, Mosaic, Israel only. It's not for us. Hey, we got something better called Christmas, Christmas, Easter, and April Fool's Day, whatever, Halloween. That's, we got something better. No, no. These are the feasts of Jehovah. Why have we failed to be a better witness to the truth? I think this is the reason right here. We've failed to mimic a main characteristic of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you what that main characteristic is. Here it is. Jesus Christ did not spend one minute of his precious time worried about what people thought of him. That's the reason. He didn't spend. Now, I'm not saying you, that Christ was rude. I'm not saying that Christ was uncaring. I'm not saying that Christ was not respectful. I'm not saying that Christ was like uh, George Jefferson where, you know, you knock on the door and he opens the door. What do you want? Bam! You know, I'm not interested. You know, I'm not saying Christ was like that. I'm saying Jesus did not spend. In other words, from an emotional level, what man thought of him was not his concern. 
he, was, he wasn't concerned about. What, may, what others thought of him was not his concern. Now, for us, it is for some strange reason. You know, I told you the story when I was um, 16. <clears throat> I told my parents, I said, I want a Corvette. And my parents are pretty cool. Instead of trying to talk me out of that car, they said, sure. You want a Corvette? Here's what the payments will be. Can you make the payment? You don't make the payment, the car goes back to the bank. This is a no-brainer. My father went with me to the bank. He co-signed for me, but he made that clear. You don't make the payment, that car goes back to the bank. So I made the payment, and I even had $5 left to put gasoline in the car. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the first day of school, back to school, I was around 16. I don't know. I had... Um, I was, I, I couldn't drive it to school. I had to get Barry to go with me. Because I didn't, I was concerned, get this, I was concerned about what other people would think of me driving this fancy sports car. I don't know why I was like that. Somebody beat some humility into me or something. I don't know what was going on. But, but I was deeply concerned. I didn't want people to look at me and think I was boasting, bragging, that I was something. And it was hard for me I, here's the bottom line. From an emotional level, I was deeply concerned about what other people thought. Now, I got to thinking about this. If this were true concerning a car, a bunch of nuts and bolts and fiberglass molded together, if, this was, if I was that concerned about what people thought of me driving this car, then what about when God calls us out of the world and he tells us, no, I don't want you to share its values or lack of value or morality. And I don't want you to be a part of its religious establishment. You're not, I'm calling you out of that. If that's true concerning this car that I had, then what about when God calls us out to, to a rather different, peculiar type of religion where it's different and we stick out like sore thumbs? Are we concerned about what man thinks? And I think, yes, we are, you know. From an emotional level, I was deeply concerned, and I think I still, you know, we struggle with that from time to time. So how concerned are we about what man thinks of us? In Luke 12 and verse 4, there is a, there's a, Jesus tells us, Luke 12 and verse 4, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after, they have no more they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him, which after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yea, I say, fear him. Who should we fear? Who should we fear more than any man? We should fear God. Now, I tell you one of the great fears I think we have. It is the fear of being misunderstood. And so, well, I know that person ain't going to get that, so I, I, don't want to, I don't want to be misunderstood. I think we have a fear of being misunderstood. I think you've got to get used to that, your fear of being misunderstood. Yeah, you are going to be misunderstood, sort of like when you tell someone, I'm keeping the Feast of Tabernacles, I'm keeping the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You are going to be misunderstood. But, you know, Jesus, 
made this statement. You don't have to turn that, but he said, Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwells in me, and I in him. And uh, many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? We don't get it. And yet, consider this. Hindsight 2020, we understand it perfectly today. What he was talking, he was talking about symbols of the blood and the wine and the bread and the, you know, we understand that. So sometimes, you know, many times the disciples would recall something Jesus said later. And they would say, we remember when we were walking down the road that Jesus said this. You know, sometimes when you, you plant a seed, and even though they don't get it, years later, they'll think, well, I, you know, I remember David. He said he kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And now there's a connection there. Now there's a connection. We, you know, we should not use the fear of being misunderstood as an excuse. You are going to be misunderstood. I can guarantee you that. Isaiah 66 and verse 2. Isaiah 66 and verse 2. It says, For all those things has my hand made, and all those things have been, says the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. Here's the person that trembles misunderstanding God's word. Trembles at getting it wrong. I don't want to get this wrong. I don't want to misunderstand. You know, to this man will I look, the person that trembles at my word. You know, when you know what is right, because you are doing what the Bible says is right, you are trembling at God's word. In other words, you don't build a theology that says, oh, I don't want to do this, so I'm going to build a theology that says all that's been done away, dismissed. You know, you don't go down that road. You're honest with God. You're honest with All right, you don't do that. If you, if you do this, you know what is right, you're doing it because it is right, because the Bible says that, that it's right, what man thinks of you becomes less and less of a concern. It really does. You have the confidence, I'm doing this because it says, you know, what, you know, it, what, what man thinks of you becomes a less of a concern. Again, Christ did not spend one minute of his precious time worried about what people thought of him. You know, I get a lot of times a lot of negative feedback on the YouTube channel. Not, not with people that write in. I have positive stuff when people write in and order material. But YouTube, you know, people can hide behind the computer screen and they can blast away at you and, and so you get, get a lot of negative feedback. But, you know, you can let that eat away at you. You can. Or you can just take it at face value and not worry. Yeah, let it go right over your head. You know, the reason we let things eat away at us is because we are too much concerned about what that person thinks. That's the reason we let it eat away at us. <clears throat> you know, I've, I used to let this bother me. I would say things and then thought, I would think, uh-oh, that person took it the wrong way. You ever done that? You know, you just say something and you think, oh, I bet that person thought I was calling them fat. <laughs> you know, you just say something, you know. And that used to bother me. It killed me. I'd go back in prayer and say, God, I, you know my heart. I wasn't calling that person like that. I bet they took it the wrong. And I finally grew up 
and realize if they take it the wrong way, it's like Ron Dart said, anytime you're offended, it is always your fault for taking it the wrong way. You didn't have to take it the wrong way. That person didn't have to think, oh, he's calling me fat because I didn't mean it that way. You know, people let, now, today, I let people take things the wrong way. Yeah, don't, don't have to worry. I don't agonize that over that like I used to, but it used to kill me. I, I would go to my prayer closet and, and just pray about those issues, and, and I finally woke up to the, you know, hey, people have their right to take things like they want to. And if they take it the wrong way, they can, and you have no control over that. Um, Isaiah 51 and verse 7. Isaiah 51 and verse 7. I like this verse. Isaiah 51 and verse 7. Hearken unto me, you that know righteousness. You know, there's a group of people out there that, that know righteousness. Did you know that? They're called the elect, the first fruits, the ones that God is calling out. Hearken unto me, you that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. That's a group of people. Not everybody, but it is a group. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. Don't fear them, God's people. Don't fear them, what they say. In James 4 and verse 14, I want to look at this one. Talking about being concerned about, you know, how people, you know, not spending time worried about what people think of you. Because here's the reason. You shouldn't be worried about that. James 4 and verse 14. Wherein you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? Here's the question. What is your life? It is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Now if that's true of you and me, where will you be 20 years from now? You ever thought about that? Look in the mirror and ask the question. Where will I be what will be my concerns? 20, what am I agonizing over right now? What am I so worried about right now? Where will you be 20 years from now? Your life is a vapor. It's going to be over with before you know it. And, but not only that, all those people that we are so concerned about what they think of you, what they think of us, they're also a vapor. They'll be dead and gone before you know it. And you just don't have time to be worried about these issues. How you know, what people, let's be more like Jesus. As I said, I don't think Jesus spent one minute of his precious time worried about what people thought of him. Which is, I think, the greatest hindrance to the gospel. That we are just so concerned about what people think of us. Probably the greatest hindrance to spreading the gospel. How will that person take this? What will they say? Look at uh, John 2 and verse 23. John 2 and verse 23. 2 and verse 23. Tells us something about Jesus' response toward mankind. John 2 and verse 23. It says, Now when he was at Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast days. What feast days? Feast of Easter, right? No, Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, many believed in his name when they saw the miracle. Notice this. Many, you know, he's, here's miracles going on. And many believed in Jesus. 
when they saw the miracles. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus was not that impressed with man. What's in man? A lot of you know what. <laughs> I don't, it has initials. B.S. Uh, <laughs> that's what's in man. Okay. And you just got to roll with the punches when, you, when dealing with, with people. You do. You, you just have to take this as that, that's a fact. Okay, this is a fact. You know, when I'm dealing with, and there are many of them, and God bless them. When, when I'm dealing with good-hearted, church-going people, and there are many that do good works that would out, outdo me six days a week and twice on Sunday. As far as caring and, and, and helping others, a lot of good Christians out there that do a lot of good, good, good works. Probably put me to shame. But I really like what Chris said last, last Sabbath, the first day of Unleavened Bread. He was talking about people that, that put their hand to the plow. There are a lot of Christians who have put their hand to the plow. And they look back and they come up with issues like the Sabbath, holy days, and they think, you know, I don't know, I can't leave my church family. I can't leave my church home. I mean, I've been there 40 years. And I can't, you know, I, can't I got my family at Christmas time, and I can't, I can't. And I, I hear these holy days, but I, I can't, I can't. They put their hand to the plow, but they're looking back, looking back. And we need to reach those people and lead them on into a deeper relationship with God. Because they have severely limited themselves to the power of God's Holy Spirit. They have severely limited themselves to the power of God's Holy Spirit. Jesus knew what was in man. God knows what's in you. God gives His Spirit to them that obey Him, Acts 5.32. And the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You know, there are special privileges that come with being God's children. And we need to start acting like God's children who are determined to please the Father. Determined to please God. Now I want to leave you with this scripture because I think it's so powerful. 1 Peter 4 and verse 2. This is the last verse and last thing I will say. I'm going to read it from the King James, and then I'm going to read it from the Bible basic English version. I like it a little bit better. It says, 1 Peter 4 and verse 2, that he no longer, or that we, should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. All right, the other translation that I want to read is this. So that you may give. Think about where you're going to be 20 years from now that you may give the rest of your life in the flesh, not to the desires of men, but to the purpose of God. 